Say It Skillfully is about being who you really are and saying what you think needs to be said, even at work. Whether you're part of a small project team or leading a giant company, the more you accept that you're part of the problem, the faster you can be part of the solution. Join Molly Chang today as together we break the silence and learn how to be happier, healthier, and more productive at work and in life. Hello, Molly here. Welcome to Say It Skillfully, helping you find the words to create shared reality in a way that's true to yourself. Happy fall to everyone, and we have a a slate full of callers today, so we'll get right to it. And I am excited to welcome John from Connecticut. John, welcome to the show. Thanks, Molly. Great to be here. So let's see here. I imagine you've got a doozy of a scenario for me. What's on your mind today? I do. So um, so my question or my scenario is um, I'll take it a little higher level because I, you know, as a former management consultant, um, I think I was often on the receiving end of this particular situation a number of times, and I know it happens at companies, if not all. Um, but, but mine is really around sort of the sensitivity concerning internal and external communications. Um, I've often found that employees tend to be quick to voice internal concerns or frustrations um, to outside consultants or to, you know, sort of uh, folks who are ancillary to the business itself, meaning not employed by the company. And, um, and this always struck me as a rather risky proposition and one that has the potential to both, I guess, reflect poorly on the company and uh, potentially inflict some reputational damage. And so, you know, my scenario really is around how do we, um, how do we move away from relying on, you know, external folks to uh, act as sounding boards and, um, and how do we solve these problems internally as opposed to almost forcing them on our, uh, on our external um, support system? Uh, I hear you. That is um, a dynamic I unfortunately have seen as well. And a lot of empathy uh, comes to me because when people do that, you can only think that it's because they just feel like they can't you know, like it's inside them bottled up and they just don't feel like they can right. get the way we want to. So I have a lot of uh, compassion for that. Um, you know, I think de- depending on the food chain, so do we want to take this from the food chain of, um, let's say a management team, the more senior people observing this, or do we want to take this from folks on the ground or both? Well, I think it could be both. And quite frankly, I think both is probably accurate, right? I think it, it happens at, you know, at both levels. Yeah. So why don't we start with the folks in the trenches and we're observing this. And I think the, the notion of shared reality that it's going on, well, kind of it's obvious that everyone's going on. If it's not said um, within the group, I think that that's a real opportunity. And, you know, let's say, you know, when you're in a company, you don't want to really see your company trashed externally. I mean, it's really not good for anyone. Um, and right. so it can be, you, one could potentially very rightfully feel annoyed, John, and that's valid. So I just encourage folks to let that go. It's valid, but it's not going to help um, you come across in a way where people will hear you in the positive, um, I think, well-intentioned light that you you are. And so I think I'll just use you as an example. I think the ability to say, you know, um, I talked to this external 
these external folks and they came back to me and mentioned this conversation. This might be a group meeting, you know, and I'm, I'm just kind of wondering, you know, what's going on here. And any open-ended question starts to give people a chance to just, and venting is totally valid, by the way. So sometimes we need to vent. So you might just say, you know, if you need to vent, let's just vent and give people a chance to feel heard. And sometimes we all, we've all been there. Um, and then it's an opportunity to say, you know, I hear the venting. I'd like to split the switch. I'd love us to feel that, you know, we are able to solve for the things that we think need to be solved for internally. Um, and I'd like to just offer that, you know, rather than talk externally, how about if we keep it inside, you know, keep our dirty laundry inside. What do folks think? And I, right. and I just, right. I'm not making anyone bad or wrong here. I have to say, I observe this and it, makes me feel bad because I, you know, it doesn't make our company look good. And ultimately that's, you know, crappy for me and it's crappy for all of us. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And I guess my, you know, so, so oftentimes, and, and this was as a, as a management consultant, this was one of my, um, I found myself in this circumstance a lot, which is, you know, if it's happening, you have to kind of communicate it internally, but if it's then confronted in that way, you've then breached trust. Right. And you you run the risk of of losing a contract or or, you know, or violating some sort of working relationship. And so to me, it always presented a very interesting dynamic between, you know, the obvious need to address matters internally and and build, you know, an atmosphere of trust and and transparency and and all of that. Um, But in doing so, you know, putting yourself, if you are the, the, the external consultant or if you're internal, putting your external consultant at risk in terms of having violated some trust and, um, and thereby, you know, potentially jeopardizing his or her contract. So yes. that to me always seems like the, the tricky uh, variable in the equation. Very. Thank you for raising that. I missed that early on. That's a huge point. So, you know, whether this is external consultant or frankly, with internally within a company, right, you're getting information potentially you're not supposed to know. The, a first, if you align a defense is working with the consultant saying, hey, it's so great that that person, you know, at least trusts you and wants to share with you. You could imagine being in on our shoes, right? And that we want to be mm-hmm. better because if we're better as a company, we're better for you as the external consultant. Do you think that that person um, would be open if you said, you know what, I, I, I want to help you guys as a company and I know so-and-so is, is really... Um, sensitive to the cause, can I share with them so that you folks could work this together? So perhaps there's a way to get permission, you know, and so the external consultant is, is honoring the relationship of the confidential information they received, um, but, but right. then also being part of the solution. So that obviously to me is very ideal and right. folks may roll their eyes, but I do think it's creating, you know, a, a way to really deepen our relationship with someone if people can really be in it together. Yeah. No, I think that makes sense. And, um, and there's always that, that interesting kind of dynamic when you're external where um, I guess you're, you're required to build strong relationships throughout the organization, both functionally and ethically. And, um, and, you know, through those, you want to maintain you know, the, the strong level of communication and you, you almost want to be that trusted partner. Someone feels they can go to uh, in an event that, 
you know, they need to vent or that there's some sort of issue that they don't feel like or, or don't want to bring up internally. Um, but absent that permission is their recourse. Yeah. So, so I think that ability to go to the individual and without um, belying any confidences is to say, you know, I'm noticing you're frustrated or you seem a little this or that or the other, something, whatever is a valid observation and just look them straight in the eye and say, look at, I value you as a colleague and I, I really don't want you to be unhappy. And it doesn't help us and the work that we do if, um, you know, we're not all not feeling good about the work and, and our ability to contribute, you know, anything that I can help you with, can we talk about it? And perhaps be the person that they need someone to talk to. Um, and see where they go. Um, you can also reverse the situation saying, you know, I have, I, I found something out and I was in a bit of a compromised position. You know, what would you do if you were in, in my shoes? And just create them as an advisor and see what they say. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, I, and I think that that's, it's a very sensitive topic in the sense that you can't really generalize it. My sense is that if you can take the high road, you know, we really want to do what's right for the whole here, right? I get the frustration. Yeah. It seems this, it seems that. I'm just show the empathy that you appreciate it. I don't think, right, that our most senior people would want this to go on either, right? What do you, th- and, and, and I, I think there's a real defense mechanism fear of failure. So it's easier to complain and make it like it's yeah. never going to get fixed. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah, no, completely. I think actually that, that either the fear of failure or the, um, the feeling that you're, you're not being heard probably catalyzes 90% of it in my experience. Um, yeah. So that, that makes yeah. perfect sense. Um, yeah. And then just, I guess, one, one final sort of twist on the scenario is, uh, you know, there, there are three real possibilities. Somebody senior... Or, or somebody complaining about a peer, somebody complaining about somebody more senior, or somebody complaining about somebody subordinate. Um, each of those, I think, has, has a different nuance to it that requires um, more of a, I guess, bespoke type of intervention. So if you're somebody, um, you know, more junior complaining about some, somebody more senior, you know, that not only jeopardizes the consultant if it's disclosed, but it potentially jeopardizes that employee, um, you know. Uh, so wh- how do you, how do you, I mean, you know, how would you navigate that type of scenario? Yeah, that's, uh, that's very tricky. And I think that the um, asking the individual, right, so that somehow getting back and maybe through the external consultant or just one-on-one saying, you know, I'm hearing you. I think that, your points are very valid, acknowledging them. And then saying, you know, what would you like to have happen? And right. being very clear on that. And, you know, whatever that just, just, and just clarify for them, because oftentimes they're not really sure what's going on. And it may or may not actually, it's, it's never 100% the other person. We all know that. So helping them yeah. work that through, what do you want to have happen? Okay. What do you think's holding back? So it's a little bit of being your consulting self, right? What do you think's holding things back, right? And they're saying, well, so-and-so doesn't want to hear it. They're a jerk that, you know, all these things. Okay. Is, do you think that that's really, is that really a fact? Is that what they want to be? Is there a chance that that's how you're perceiving it? So it's just helping the person perhaps loosen the grip 
that their reality is in fact, you know, objective truth. Clearly, clearly it is, right? And it's hard, yeah, because we we got it. Like I think this is, I'm right. I know I'm right. And so it's just saying. So here's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing that you really have, you want to help the organization. You know, your perception of so and so isn't, I think, what they think they are. And if if someone doesn't somehow help them see that, they may never understand that. And that would be a real bummer. And typically it doesn't take much. I have really seen this work where people like, oh my God, I've never really put myself in that other person's shoes. Um, And that Mm -hmm. is the transformational part of it. Yeah. No, that's great. I I mean, I I remember one instance where, you know, working as a a management consultant to a portfolio company, um, this theme came up, you know, six or seven times with different employees regarding the CEO. And, um, and ultimately it, it got to the point where I felt like I needed to at least make the board aware that, uh, that there was this issue and that it was not just a single dissenter, but rather almost a mutiny. And, um, and, you know, by that point it was clear that, 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 that leader was, um, you know, was, was not going to work out there. But, um, you know, I, I think it's tricky finding the right avenue to, uh, to deal with, you know, different internal stakeholders and how they, you know, how, how they see, you know, each other and, and what the recourse can and should be to actually move forward as opposed to, to remain stuck in this cycle of either um, mistrust or just flat out dissent. Yeah. And, you know, I think the, the, the macro point here is, is does the organization really want to hear all voices and is willing to, um, to, to really embrace that's not always pretty news. And you either really do embrace your people and that they have a, a point of view. They may not all be right, but you're willing to hear that. You either embrace that or you don't. So if you really don't, and there are people in organizations where I think that that is the case, then, you know, that's a different question, John. I think, uh, you know, guess the leaders that I work with and, and have come across really vast, vast majority don't want people to feel squashed, aren't trying to make stupid decisions. <laughs> you know, they're not trying to railroad people. Um, it does come up for sure, but for the most part, you know, people don't. And so I think the assuming of the positive intent, the ability to own it and say, wait a second, I'm not seeing this the way so-and-so is, let's talk about it, right? Rather than behind the scenes complain about it. And and it's, yeah. you know, I, I, to, to the earlier conversation, I think that in some ways it's comforting for people to just like, it's just crappy here. And it's always going to be this way. So I'm just going to complain, you know, and I, I personally don't have time for people like that. So I think that that's an opportunity, you know, in organizations just to say, Hey, you know, if you, you have a voice, it's a, it's an opportunity, it's a privilege to use it. It's also a responsibility to use it constructively to help us all. And we're always going to welcome that. Um, right. But, right. But if you're going to just whine and it's never going to be better or whatever, that that's the kind of thing that I think can really take groups down. Yeah. You're probably, probably in the wrong place. You're probably in the wrong place. And I, and I, you know, I think from the senior team, if that sort of thing is getting back to them, I think the, the top, the top thing to start with is just really owning it and saying, wow, you know, we're, we obviously are unaware that we're not, uh, enabling folks to, to tell us 
what you really want to say and and bad right. on us bad on us right. and so um we're going forward and we're going to make a point to ask you about the stuff that we don't want to hear we're going to thank you for it um and then we're going to really listen and together create the environment that's going to help all of us thrive it's that easy and and it for the leaders who um, are kind of on a journey to that, you know, it's a year. You got to say it for about a year before people will really believe you. And once once right. you get there, right, I think it's um, it, you've really flipped the switch. John, that was such a great scenario. Do you have a top takeaway personally that, that you have? Yeah, I mean, my takeaway, I think, would be to treat the, uh, the situation with care, considering things like power imbalances or, uh, relationships internally and externally. I think, you know, you don't want to put anybody in jeopardy. Um, but at the same time, you know, it needs to be addressed and it needs to be confronted. And I think that, you know, building that, that community of, of trust and transparency, as you said, begins with leadership and, um, and will then trickle downward. And, um, so, yeah, I think my takeaway would, would simply be that, you know, don't ignore it because I, I've definitely been in situations where I've just let it go and uh, just acted as, as, as the sounding board and, um, and you know, moved on. And, um, and I think that, you know, now that I'm no longer in the consulting world and I'm internal, um, it's, it's much more important because you, you see how, uh, how critical a, a solid culture and, and trust is. Uh, with with your peers and and uh, throughout the hierarchy, so that would be my takeaway. I think that's great, and I'd I, I love the advice. I appreciate you. That is awesome, John. You know how to reach me. If I can be of more help, don't hesitate to reach out. And I thank you for being part of the solution. You got it. Thank you. Take care. Okay, next, staying in the Northeast from New Jersey, we have Rhonda. Rhonda, welcome to Say It Skillfully. Thank you. Good day, good day. Thank you so much, Molly. Thrilled to have you. I am so thrilled to be here. Yeah, I'm thrilled to be here, and I cannot wait to tell you this this situation, scenario, and hear uh, from you, who I believe to be an expert, and how uh, the best way to handle this. So let me just jump right into it, if you don't mind. Please. Okay. I want to paint the picture. Uh, as you know, I am an IT service desk manager. So I manage the people that you call when you're having a problem with your technology, whatever it is. The skill set required to be successful for that type of position is really two, two phases, actually three, three sets. There's technical. There are soft skills because they're dealing with people. Um, and then there's, there's also a presence. Um, they, need to, they need to be able to, their presence does need to be, have some level of command uh, with their customers and some level of command with um, their peers in terms of uh, working together to, to solve problems, et cetera, et cetera. Typically, that's an entry-level position. You come in possibly straight out of school, um, and you work your way up. And that's the way I always manage my, my teams. I give them like two years. In two years, I'm going to kick you out the nest. It's time for you to then go on, move on up the ladder. <laughs> and moving up that ladder, and moving up that ladder may be technical, or it may be leadership. So in my scenario, I had a, and this is a had, and because I really want to hear how I should have done it. Um, 
because um, it, it's, it's a common scenario. I had a high performer who was very technical uh, and who was really my right hand when it came to uh, problem solving. Any, any difficult problem, anything that was taking too long to solve, more than likely I would, I would give to this individual to solve. When he looked at the soft skills, they were a little, let's just say, they needed some, some uh, care, let's just say. Uh, to be specific, they, they tended to have a short fuse. They, they tended to, to um, get frustrated, uh, especially if they were trying to explain something and people weren't getting it, or, again, getting, getting into that command and working with other people um, if they're, they were trying to solve a problem with, with some teammates and the teammates were not listening to them. Um, there was some explosions at times. Um, and they just, you know, they, they needed some development around soft skills and communication. And communication two-phase, verbal plus body language. Their body language was crazy. And they had a desire to move more on the leadership side. That was their, that was their path. Okay, so what do I do? I'm going to develop them. Technically, they were fine. Soft skills, identified gave them some classes, they worked on it, it was wonderful. They even said to me that they were so happy to get some of the, the, the training and the classes and articles and, and just the, that whole focus on their soft skills, and it did help with that level of frustration, and they were very thankful because it made their life a tad bit more peaceful, right, on the professional yeah. and the personal level, on the professional and personal level. So they were happy with that. On the other side, when it came to that leadership path, it, you know, not only was it all of the, the, the technical, the soft skills and the communication, but there's also a need to have some level of that presence, right? Not necessarily that executive, executive quote, air quotes, presence, because of the level, of the level that, that, um, that um, those positions are, but it, it needed to start to be developed. There needed to be some concern about how I'm presenting myself. How do I look to others? You know, how am I coming across? Um, so that was the, the, let's just say, second, third leg uh, of the chair that still needed some attention, specifically around dress, specifically around dress. So, I knew that they were, had done, you know, what I wanted uh, and what we had agreed to uh, in terms of development, and I knew they were ready. I wanted to promote them, but this was the one thing that needed to be worked on, um, and I thought it would be a quick thing. I thought it would be a just flip the switch. I just identify it, flip the switch, and, oh, here we come in, and now we're pro- more appropriately dressed. We're more, let's just say, um, you know, we're more professionally dressed and, and, you know, we've already learned how to present ourselves and now our, our look is matching everything else. And I thought it was going to be so easy that all I needed to do was have a conversation. They would address it and we'd all move on. And I'd put in the promotion, boop, done. Well, somewhere along the line, I messed up because in that conversation that I had, um, they started crying. They started crying, and it was, it was 
it was so much for me as I didn't anticipate that, you know, so it took me off Skelter and um, the conversation ended. They did address it. I did put in the promotion and, and they did move on. But there was something in that conversation where I met, I really messed up. So <laughs> That's I, not what I, I expected to hear. <laughs> oh, really? What did you expect to hear? I was thinking you were going to get stuck on the soft skills and da-da-da-da-da. They check, check, and then you're like, the third thing, dress. That's Well, first of all, I just want to acknowledge you, Rhonda, for creating pipeline of talent in your company and obviously being very good at it. So kudos to you and your company is very fortunate for that because that's, to me, a hallmark of leaders is unleashing people's potential and helping them um, move up and onward. And I can tell that you love doing it. So it's really fabulous. Can you remember when you brought the person in, what exactly you said to tee up the I can, I can, <laughs> Molly, Molly, not only can I remember, well, it may not be exact, but I can definitely give you the essence of what I said. I could almost even tell you what I had on that day. I can almost <laughs> even tell you what, what they had on that day because it, it just left such a mark on me. Um, all right. I have to give a little bit more. The specific area of the dress was just around one thing. The company has a policy around jeans at the time, and it didn't matter what they were, didn't matter blue, didn't black, green, yellow, whatever they were, jeans could not be worn. And and this is in, in IT and, and, you know, going around servicing things. So we all did more of a business casual and definitely more kind of like relaxed business casual um, than maybe some other teams because we're on the, the floors and et cetera, et cetera. So this individual seemed to have, and I know that they did, they had in rotation some um, corduroy. They were like a light, uh, paled uh, corduroy, not a thick, not a thick, what is it called? The pales of corduroy, right? Not a thick corduroy, but a a very narrow corduroy uh, five pocket jean that they wore. It was a jean design, and um, they had it in every. Co- they had those in every color, and they wore them every day. That was like their uniform. Okay, and since they, it was a jean design, okay, it was a jean. It was it was a jean. Um, I did not. I was afraid that it, that it was going to get in the way of. Um, of that next level, you know, um, even though it was something easily, easily to address, but I was afraid it was going to get in the way. So they had those jeans on that day, had the conversation. And I didn't, what I didn't tell them is the why of why I was having the conversation. So I started out uh, just by acknowledging, you know, um, how much I valued them, how much I, I uh, appreciated um, the efforts that they had made, right, around their own development and how they had moved the needle uh, and actually turned the corner when it came to their soft skills and communication. And that there was just one more thing that I that uh, needed to be addressed, and that was their dress. And I outlined the same thing that I'm saying to you and that there was a policy and that, um, you know, what they had on even that day um, was really, and 
for me, a, a stretch of the policy, and that I didn't want it to get in the way of their success. And um, they started crying. And then what did you do? No, in my memory, I apologized. Said I'm just so sorry. You know, didn't mean for it to to come across that way. You know, in such a way because I I I'm also a very direct communicator. Um, sometimes I can be too direct, but I think I was I I thought I was I was showing some care in uh, what I said. And um, so I apologized. You know, I didn't mean it to for it to to come across in a way that was hurtful. Um, and then I remember them just fanning me off and just saying, it's okay. It's all right. And, and then I asked, I remember saying to them, do you need some more time? And then they, and then they said, nope. They, you know, they took a couple of tissues, they wiped themselves and they left the room. Done. All good. Mm-hmm. And then they then they addressed the issue, and you were fine. They addressed the issue. Yep, yeah. um, I put in for the promotion. wasn't questioned at all. And you know what? Today, they are the head of IT for a corporation. <laughs> okay, gotta call for a lunch. Okay, you definitely have to call for a lunch. <laughs> going to send her the replay of this and say, I actually heard you talked about this. So, uh, so I think the story had a very positive ending. I'm a fan of, you know, what's needing to happen happens for people. And it sounds to me that this has just hit an emotional chord for the person. They had an outburst. You know, I think this comes up a lot and I've had male uh, friends kind of confided in me saying, you know, I got to be honest with you. I put up with a lot of crying with my female employees. Um, and I said, put up. And no one really wants to deal with someone crying at work. And I don't think people want to cry at work. It does happen. So, you know, I think without labeling or judging, hopefully, you know, we get to situations where people don't have to get to that more extreme state. But it's a it's an emotional state, and this in this case sounds like it was just very in controlled, and they they moved on and out, and that's great, no judgment there. I wouldn't beat yourself up with how you could have maybe, you know, done it more perfectly, frankly, Rhonda, because it sounds like you really were thinking about this other individual. I might have considered mm-hmm. right. So then this is just throwing it out as an option that this the setup of you know. We're, you know, organizations have their things, right? And we, there are certain rules that come into play and that's, that's a part of being here, you know? And so one of the things that we have going on here from a dress code standpoint is this jeans rule. And I personally would love for us to be able to wear whatever we want. I think that that's not indicative of our quality of work. It has nothing to do with who we are as people. That said, it's just part of the rule. Right. So it's it's not blaming anybody, but it is just acknowledging, confronting that reality. So now I'll be honest with you, the pants, the those jeans are on the you know, they're on the fringe. I Mm -hmm. would really be loathe that 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 become a top a top topic when your name comes up. The person with the jeans, the, the pseudo jeans. I would just not want that to be a reputation. I could try to bring that up 
I just think raising a promotion with a clothing item uh, front and center is not, it's not how I would want myself to be known. Right. Mm. Or, mm. You, so you're in conversation and, and the person's like, yeah, I certainly don't want to be known as the person with the five pockets, pseudo jeans, you know, overstating my incredible technical prowess, the leadership skills I have since developed, blah, blah, blah. So you let that person come to the conclusion. So what do you think? Yeah, I think I got to lose the jeans. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there's a collaborative thing there. And then it's, as the manager, I think it's also fair. The person's waffling and say, this is the deal. I get that clothing means, I get I have clothes, favorite pieces of clothing too. Um, you know, if it's a cost thing or whatever, let me know. We'll work on it. Mm-hmm. I'd like to make mm-hmm. the call that, you know, let's just, let's just leave this as part of your, your wardrobe for this department, but you're up, uh, you know, onto better things and we're going to make a shift. What do you think about that? Right. And, and engage mm-hmm. in that tone. So let me pause. How's that land? Mm-hmm. 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 Loving it because that's what I did not do and it may have um, not because I really believe that what I said triggered that emotional response right um, and I think if I had come across that way which what I hear is being more relational acknowledging um, not only the rule right acknowledging that the rule is, is there whether we like it or not and acknowledging that you know it it may be to a certain degree kind of bogus right um, but, it, but it's important, but it is important. And then getting that buy-in, that's, that is what I don't remember doing. I remember definitely acknowledging them for what they, you know, their performance and what they've done, um, to address those areas that we had, we had collaboratively identified need to be addressed. I don't recall getting their buy-in to um, this rule, right, and what, and they, and acknowledging that, yeah, I do do that, and then acknowledging that, that, like you said, you know, you don't want to be the one who doesn't get the opportunity because of something like this, right? Um, that I definitely didn't do, and I think that to your point, Molly, um, that would have. Uh, I look at that approach as being more uh, side by side a side-by-side approach, meaning I'm right here with you, I'm walking with you, you know, uh, you know. here's the one thing, what do you think about it? Yeah, I, I agree. Okay, then let's go on, continue to walk together down this path. Um, I didn't do that. I think, if anything, in my memory, I came across too managerial, jurial, if that's a word. <laughs> yeah, so great for our listeners. The call-out here is this notion of task versus relationship. And to your credit, you're like task. I got to get this person promoted, right? This is the thing. And for sure, that's where we want to go. Focusing on the relational piece, how's it going to land for them? How are they going to feel about me? Are they going to feel I'm a partner side by side? Are they going to feel like I'm, you know, kind of a gatekeeper? How do I want to be perceived with this person and a partnering co-creating theme regardless of the hierarchy right is a way that really helps people feel empowered and feel that they have a yeah. voice right and so great takeaways on that so um i'm cheering for you you're welcome back anytime and if um i can be more helpful you know how to reach me but i thank you for joining thank me thank you thank you so much you take good care
Okay, we're going down to the south here uh, in Tampa, and I'm welcoming Vince to the show. Vince, welcome to Say It Skillfully. <laughs> What's up, Molly? Can you hear me? I can hear you great, my friend. What's going on? All right. Oh, life's good, you know, life's good, and, uh, you know, watching the weather and everything. But overall, I just enjoyed the conversation you just had with the last individual that was uh uh, really good feedback and understanding just the environment you work in and understanding personalities and uh, ways to approach things with a decent conversation. I like that. It's awesome. You, uh, I know, have uh, a lot of intersections with a lot of different kinds of folks. So I'm um, excited to hear what the Say It Skillfully challenge is on your mind. All right, so you, you hit me with a, a, a topic of the difficult discussion. And I will tell you, over the last 10 years, you know, after 30 years uh, plus working with the government and the military and, you know, starting my own company and, and uh, being a, a college professor working at, at George Southern as an adjunct, I started learning a lot of things, and I started listening to Say It Skiffley about a year and a half ago and, uh, and embraced a lot of the uh, techniques and processes, but... To go back to the, the, the difficult conversation, I, I ran into over the last, probably last 11 years, I would say, was the hardest part is the term being the bad guy. So what I would find out is as a senior leader or, or supervisor is that I was cleaning up things that should have been happening at the mid-level management. And what, what I mean by that is when it came to evaluations, the mid-level managers are supposed to evaluate personnel and then give you their recommendation on whether this person has potential or this person needs more grooming or seasoning or whatever the terms of the day are that are those buzzwords. But what I found out was that that conversation wasn't happening between uh, subordinates and management. And so what they would do is they would give them gleaming reports and then send it to me, me knowing that the individual was not meeting this benchmark that they were supposed to be at, uh, putting it on the, the senior person to <laughs> deliver some bad news. Well, I, I will tell you that, has been, that is a challenge. And when you step back and start looking at that as if you're trying to cultivate an organization of excellence or you're trying to help someone become better at what they're, uh, you know, at the skill set they're working at, so what I did was after, you know, listening to a couple of your different um, episodes, I started stepping back and having conversations with my mid-level managers and saying, that, stop using the term, no one wants to be the bad person or the bad guy. But however, you have to educate, you have to motivate, and you have to inspire people uh, in the job that they're doing. And if they're not meeting those benchmarks, then you have to sit down and ask them what circumstances are causing that that they're not meeting the, uh, the, the benchmarks or the data points that are needed for that individual to get promoted to the next rank or move into a, a position of power authority. And, and then I'll pause right there. Well, I love this scenario because this is the one that drives me insane <laughs> because we, we might get an employee and we're like, how did this person get there? And the question is exactly how did this person who has a lot of potential, by the way, right? Not necessarily get the input that they needed to be the best that they could be, or that we have them in the wrong role, are bad again on the organization. So I really appreciate your bringing this up, Vince. Um, what comes to me is as the more senior person, and I do think that there's a, 
two issues. One is clarity of the role. Um, and, and as a supervisor, um, the clarity of the role is the ability to, um, you know, clarify for others what their role is and to help them succeed in it. And that, you know, they may think that their job is to get people to do the job. And it's actually, you're there to help that person be successful for themselves in the organization. And so if they're not successful, I'm looking at you. I'll say that again. If your employee is not successful, I'm looking at you, the supervisor. Now the supervisor is like, what? I'm like, yeah, we're looking at you because you are here, you know, with our most precious asset, we're asking you to groom them, nurture them, support them. And that's part of the job. So I think that that's not necessarily clear. I think there's a lot of task. I'm just here to beat the people to get them to do the work. And sure, that's the outcome, but you know, it's leading people versus managing work. So I think there's a clarity of role and then a skill set to do that. That is not, people don't come out of, you know, school with a natural, you know, um, know-how and sensitivity to be able to talk to people about performance. It's not the easiest thing because it's very personal. So I think as the most senior person, I think looking at a group, just saying, hey, you could imagine a group of supervisors and, and maybe there's an opportunity for everyone to lean into, you know, being a better coach, being a better um, leader for your people. And let's talk about that as a team and help each other. Let's make that a growth opportunity for all of us. Because if we grow, guess what? All those folks we have the privilege to lead, they grow. So let me just pause there. How's that landing? No, no, no. You're spot on. So I will give you a little bit of credit on something. So there was a couple episodes probably last spring I was listening to. And what I found out was that challenge of getting the mid-level managers to coach, mentor, teach, and also give insight of the do's and don'ts that they ran into to get where they were. They weren't providing that feedback to the new uh, employees or the the new uh, individuals coming into the organization. So what was happening was that we were having we were having issues that we really shouldn't have been having because we've already learned those lessons, lived those lessons, and experienced those lessons. So and we were keeping track of that those uh, these, those issues in a database, calling you know an after action or feedback. So we it wasn't like it was deja vu or something. It was like we've already dealt with this. Why did we do the same thing again? So what I found that was real important was that I realized when you got about 3,000 employees or 2,000 employees, you can't reach everybody to get where you needed to be individually. So what I found that was best was I started taking different techniques and having town halls and meetings, but I would actually lay out the requirements of how to get to excellence. I would lay out the, 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 the benchmarks of what excellence stood for and how each individual had to look at themselves and do some self-assessment on were they really meeting the requirement as an individual for the organization to be the best it could be, or was the organization not meeting the requirement it needed to be to take care of the people that were working for the organization. So we had to do some self-assessments also at leadership level to give back to ensure that we were taking care of employees the proper way and also making sure that they were being heard and that their, their feedback was being implemented and they could see it being implemented 
And if it wasn't, then we give them feedback saying we can't implement this because it would be too cost effective because of this. But we had to do that. We had to go the extra mile or extra tactical mile to uh, shape the organization. And and I'll, I'll pause right there. That's fantastic. And the word mutuality. Mutuality is what comes up for me. And I know that people in want the work to work as a team. And I think often that the part of we're in it for each other is missed. And I love the way how the leadership rallied here to say, and I actually think I remember that show, but you know, lots of times employees, you know, you ask us a lot of stuff, we give you our opinions, and then it just goes into this black hole. Their experience is that it goes into a black hole. Now the leadership is obviously taking the information and working with it. It's just that they're not necessarily you know, that last mile loop coming back to folks and saying, hey, we heard you. Um, these are the things that really landed. Here's why we're, we're executing on them. Oh, by the way, these are other thoughts. We're, we're great, interesting. Here's why they're not working or we're not going forward. So that, you know, just because people speak up doesn't mean we're going to do it. Let's be very clear. However, you have skin in the game and we're going to be um, respectful of all the ideas and let you know the ones we go with and the ones we don't. And that's just being in great relationship. You know, now we're working it together. People feel like they have an impact. And, you know, to the previous callers, you know, I think there's nothing more frustrating for folks to feel like they're just nowhere to go, you know? And of course, no leader, no leader wants that to be their people's experience. Yet, shockingly, it happens a lot more than we might, we might think. Vince, in all of oh, that, yeah. what, what, what was hardest for you personally as a leader? Uh, frustration. Uh, let me just be very clear. I became very frustrated for a while. In about two or three months, I was writing a kind of a journal. And I was frustrated that either maybe as a leader, I wasn't articulating the requirement, or that I was also challenging the, the confirmation bias of, hey, this is the way we've always done it. And this is good. But what I found out was, when you when an organization is stagnant, and they take that this is the way we've always done it approach is that you miss so much in opportunity and then the weight of the organization falls on like certain individuals and that gives that individual all the power to say, well, look, you know, nothing gets done unless I touch it. Instead of having 20 people that could tackle a problem, you had one or two individuals trying to tackle 20 problems, which was creating friction also. So you asked me as well, <laughs> How did it impact me or how did it look? It was frustrating, Molly. I mean, theoretically, I mean, seriously, it was frustrating at all kind of levels for me because I'm a human person. I'm humanistic. I, I believe in that the, the human individual uh, is, the, the, is the greatest asset on the planet in an organization. And if they're, and if they're given the, the, the abilities and the option to, to grow, they will. But when you have a stagnant organization or confirmation bias or this is the way we've always done it, that is a hard paradigm to break. So I pulled my staff in and I said, hey, this is going to take us about six months. I said, we're going to turn this aircraft carrier one way or the other. And I said, we're going to get the ship in the wind, but it's going to take about six months and it's going to be hard. And, and I'll just I'll stop right there. You're so, I love, I love how you work. Uh, let me ask you, when you pulled the folks together, did everybody make it? Were there folks that tried, uh, who tried and, you know, even with your help and your support, 
just couldn't turn the corner to be the kind of leader you needed them to be. Uh, I'm just, I'm really just curious in the practical matters um, if you had to uh, okay, have people so move on. Just, yeah, just, just from a realistic standpoint, you have people that, that, and you know, I lost some people on the team. They found other opportunities and it wasn't because they were forced to find other opportunities. It is because it, and I always, I say this all the time, once people are past 30, uh, they're pretty much set in their ways in some things they believe. And, uh, and one of the challenges were there were several individuals that they were just not going to go with the new uh, flow. It's like any corporation, any other company. Uh, the, the company gets bought out, a new management comes in and says, we're going this direction. You either can get on or you have to get off the train. It doesn't matter which way the company's going because the company still has to, has to grow. So, uh, fast forward, those individuals, you know, shifted because of personality or just didn't want to get on. But this is the funny thing. Once, after that six months, once everything settled, we ended up being the number one organization for that year. But it took six months and it took some uh, some convincing to get there, Molly. All right. I uh, love the fact that people self-selected. So I think that that, for all the listeners out there, when you set the culture, the norms, this is how we're going to be, and um, and people understand why, you know, they folks can make a choice. And we still love them as human beings to the humanistic side of you. Um, but people will tend to um, to self-select and find places that uh, there's a better fit. And, and I think that that, to me, has really removed a lot of the rub, I think, for people with this guy doesn't fit, this gal doesn't fit. So better when the individual realizes, you know what, this isn't really what I want um, or who I want to be or how I want to work. Um, I'm still respected and I can find other, other places to add value. Um, I could no, talk to you forever. Yeah. Vince, do you have a particular top takeaway you want to share with listeners today? Yeah, you know, as, uh, over the last uh, two years, I will say when I found... Uh, say it skillfully about, you know, a year and a half ago when I, I kind of reached out to you is that, you know, the, the communication is everything and it is the bottom line of, of getting to excellence. And ineffective communication could be body language or nonverbal or just uh, saying the wrong thing. And I think as, as an organization, as anyone goes forward, and my advice to anyone out there is sometimes step back and do a self-mediation are you communicating effectively? Are you listening effectively to be to make your organization the best it can be? And that's what all I got for you, Damali. And I really appreciate you having me on the show today. I really do. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you for your service. And I'm cheering for you for this next exciting phase and hope to collaborate with you. <laughs> Thank you for being part of the solution, Vince. Take care. Okay, I have a scenario that's been in my backlog from Anache in the Philippines. And she wrote me and said, you know, in this work from home setup, um, I can't sit with colleagues um, the way I'd like to. And I think I need to put extra effort in being empathetic uh, to reach them through all these virtual chats and virtual meetings. Um, any tips or advice, Molly? So first, empathy, let me just define ability to understand and share someone else's feelings. I'll translate that practically. The other person feels that you have a sense of how they're feeling. It doesn't mean you necessarily do or you understand it perfectly. Um, um, if you're tuning in, um, you appreciate that 
how people feel really does directly impact how they work, right? I mean, that's the core of this show. So three things, a practical note, video obviously is a huge medium, um, especially for teams that aren't as gelled. I think the ability to get the visual cues is essential. Logistically, work the setup and just support people in a setup that comes across, they look the way they wanna look. Lighting matters, background matters, audio matters. And sometimes people have issues with that. Um, so being supportive to, so that people have good infrastructure is really, is really key. Um, so then I'd say managing yourself, you know, being human helps others realize you embrace everyone else's humanity. We need more of that. And it starts with getting with what you need. So make sure your, your, your um, needs are taken care of. And then I'd say clarity, right? There's lots of uncertainty for people and clarity at work helps them with a sense of stability, you know, have meetings that matter, make it clear why we're having them. Um, and how they're going to run and set the stage and help create, you know, a supportive, stable environment for people to be able to join you. Uh, so hopefully those that helps in that and I'm happy to continue the chat further. And uh, it may seem for lots of us out there that there's not much in life um, now that's uh, changing. It's kind of all the same. You're home, going nowhere fast. So my thought for the week is change what you see. Look through your eyes at what's in front of you, whether it's the doorstep across the street, the trunk of a tree you've passed countless times, the expression of someone at the stoplight. Change what you see. There's wonder, there's learning, there's growth, uh, and hopefully it'll help you feel like you're getting somewhere a little bit faster. Uh, and I thank you for tuning in. That's a wrap. Please be part of the solution and kindly share this show. Reflect on your top takeaways and know I'm cheering for you to be who you are and say what needs to be said so that you and those around you have a shared reality, essential to make the best decisions, execute with speed and achieve outstanding outcomes at work and in life. Homelessness is a problem that's more costly to ignore than solve. The U.S. spends $12 billion a year responding, but resources alone aren't enough. I'd like you to know there are cities and counties proving what does work. Partnering with Community Solutions, a nonprofit I'm on the board of, more than 80 communities around the country are succeeding in ending homelessness, beginning with chronic and veteran homelessness. They convene local leaders around data and are changing how they work and spend their resources. So homelessness becomes rare. More than half have already reduced the number of people experiencing chronic and veteran homelessness with commitment to get to zero. What can you do? Visit www.built40.org and see whether your community is engaged. Contact your mayor and ask, do you know the number of people experiencing homelessness in real time? Do you know every homeless person by name? What are you doing to drive measurable reductions in homelessness? Please challenge the fiction that says homelessness is an intractable problem. Thanks for listening to Say It Skillfully with host Molly Chang. Join us again for more ways to say it skillfully next Tuesday, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Follow Molly on LinkedIn and Twitter. Check out SayItSkillfully.com and sign up so you don't miss her latest 90-second video. And please, be part of the solution. Kindly tell others about this program so they say it skillfully too. 